Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is October 4th, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book on page 37, the last paragraph. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, October 3rd, is 3105. That's 3105. OA Preamble. OA is Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. Now I'd like to ask Margaret H. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Envision for you. I'm Margaret H., recovered compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you so much, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 37, the last paragraph at the bottom of the page, starting with our behavior is as absurd. And this morning, Katie is going to start for us. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him a foolish chap, having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several, several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. Well, 
this does sound absurd, but it really is exactly how I acted. I would, <clears throat> you know, when I, I, as I read this, I picture myself at the various stages of my life and my disease. And, you know, I enjoyed uh, baking when I was a child. And, you know, my mother would say, oh, you're going to get sick if you eat all that. And I'd say, I'm fine. And, you know, I would uh, swear off forever that I was going to go on a diet tomorrow. And, you know, I would go on a diet tomorrow. But then the day would come when I would be off the diet. And I, um, you know, you, I went back to the same places over and over again. And you'd think that I would learn, would have learned that, you know, the diets didn't work. Um, my best thinking got me into more and more trouble. But, but it just didn't. Um, and this sounds so absurd with the idea that, um, you know, breaking both legs, but really this disease did cripple me. It did cripple me from functioning as the uh, person that God meant for me to be. And uh, I'm just so grateful that, you know, I stopped chasing after diet and tomorrow and then, and thinking that I could control it. Um, you know, and surrender to this program and to my higher power with that I'll pass. Mm. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Please press star 1 to unmute. This is Maggie, a compulsive reader in California. Go ahead, Maggie. Thank you, Janice. What I noticed about this story this time is that the different parts of the body are affected each time the accident happens, the skull, the arms, the legs, and how this disease affects different parts of our lives each time we allow it to take hold. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Maggie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Anne-Marie. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Hi, I'm Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. Um, I love this story because I could see how ridiculous, you know, continuing to try to jaywalk and then continuously getting hurt over and over again. And it was the same with me with compulsive eating. I couldn't see uh, that if I ate, compulsively ate, it would end up, I would end up being hurt just the way I was the last time I compulsively ate, hungover, not feeling good. Yet this is so typical of me um, when I was in the disease that I would look at somebody else, someone else, and see their flaws. But yet I could not see them in myself. Because when I read this story, you know, I could so easily see that this man was just crazy absolutely crazy for trying to do the same thing over and over again and had the same results. But yet when I looked at myself, I couldn't see that. And, you know, later in the book, uh, we talk about that, um, how we focus on, you know, we can so easily see what's wrong in other people. But that just jumped out at me this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Good morning, Ms. Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. 
And this chapter, this paragraph just talks about the progression of the disease. You know, he enjoyed himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. You know, that time that the food worked for us, it did help us celebrate more. It did help us quell the anger. It did help us when we were sad to, uh, you know, it did give us that ease and comfort. You know, and it says, but luck then deserts him. You know, you would expect him if he was normal to cut it out. There was a time that the food stopped working for us. And it makes me think back to Bill's story where it says, out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. So yes, for a while it worked for us. For a while food was our friend, it was our companion. But it has now turned to the boomerang. It's cutting him to ribbons. He's breaking arms. He's breaking legs. You know, he tells you he's decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks he, broke, he breaks, both, breaks both legs. So it's now cutting him to ribbons and he still can't stop. And I so get that. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, Miss Kim. You're, you're 23 years old and you have high blood pressure. You need to stop. You know, I'm sorry, Miss Jones, you have diabetes. If you don't stop eating, I'm going to have to cut off your leg. I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, but you're, you're, um, your heart is so bad at this point that you're at the risk of having a stroke and having to live as an invalid. And yet we continue to go on and on and on. You know, this is so ridiculous that it's so dead on that it's only by seeing the abstract that we can see that this is what we do. This exactly describes the progression and the insanity that someone who does not have our disease is going to look at us and be like, what is wrong with that person? Why would they possibly do that? But yet, as a compulsive mode reader, I look at this and I'm like, makes total sense to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. This is Janice, and I'd like to comment on this paragraph, too, this morning. And the very first sentence of this paragraph says so much to me. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of the individual with, say, a passion for jaywalking. You know, I look at at these paragraphs that are describing to me that insane idea that curious mental phenomenon that happens to me when I'm stone-cold abstinent. When I'm not jaywalking, what am I not doing? I am not thinking about what happens to me when I'm jaywalking. I'm not thinking about the fact that I've broken legs, the fact that I've been hit by a moving trolley. I don't think about that. And the absurd idea, the mental phenomenon that is so absurd is that I will pick up that first bite again. Despite all the harm to myself, despite all the consequences of even a week or a month ago or yesterday, that absurd idea, that insane idea will come into my head and will sound like the best idea I've had in a long time. And it's absurd. When people look at it from the outside, they would say, yes, is that not insane? Every time she does this, every time Janice does this, it causes these severe consequences. Why does she keep doing it? There's no explanation for it other than this curious, mental, peculiar, mental idea that comes into my head, this peculiar and very insane 
idea that comes into my head that I follow, that I think this time it's going to be different. That insane, those old ideas were what had to be smashed. Those old ideas, the insane idea that always won out. And that's what they're talking about here. And it would give me a thrill sometimes to pick up that first compulsive bite. But when that no longer thrilled me, I kept on doing it again and again. You know, you might label me foolish for having some weird ideas, but then it says luck deserts him. And he's injured several times in succession. Several times in succession. Like the story we read about Jim, who got drunk half a dozen times in quick succession. But would that stop me? No, it would not. No, it would not. And that's what we're up against, this, this obsession of the mind, this obsession of the mind. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Please press star one to unmute. Okay, we'll go on to the next paragraph. Esther, would you read that for us? Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work, his wife gets a divorce, and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? Um, so yes, this man is crazy, and you know this. Um, you know this story of the jaywalker is, you know, meant to, to be absurd. We're, we're, you know, extreme and absurd. And for me, when I read it, it it made me think that the same way that I think that this jaywalker is insane, then I too must be insane. I mean, this entire chapter um, from beginning to end is trying to hammer home to me the idea that when it comes to food, I have insane thinking, right? The insane thinking that drives me to take the first compulsive bite when I know what the result of that bite is going to be. So, you know, first I'm told about Jim and, and his story, and, and in case I don't even, don't see the absurdity of my behavior in Jim's story, I'm, I'm being shown a very extreme example of someone who, you know, through his ridiculous actions, is destroying every part of his life. I mean, gets a divorce, um, needs to be shut, him, shut, uh, shut up in an asylum. This is um, this is what was happening to me. Every part of my life was deteriorating. Um, at home, at work, socially, and yet I couldn't see the the insanity of of um, of my ways, the absurdity of my thinking. So when I read this, I say this guy is crazy, and then I think to myself, that's what I was like. Everything that he did, I did right. Um, my conduct would con- would continue even though I would promise myself things would be different, and my life was deteriorating, and I still continued my conduct. So I wasn't able to see it in myself. It wasn't until it was pointed out to me, and especially with this story, you know, which is, you know, which is is amusing in a sense. I guess that breaks that, that you know, that layer of denial that I had about re- realizing, you know, what my behavior was doing and and how I truly had that insanity that 
this chapter is trying to teach me about. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Janice, press star one to unmute. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, it's Penny C. May I comment? Go ahead, Miss Penny. Go ahead. Hi, um, Penny. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, this sentence, he tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head, really hit me because nowhere have we heard that he asked a higher power to help him. And this story, um, like most people, I think, who've read the big book, this is the first story that stands out so well because it's so easy to identify with this because for me, with the compulsive overeating, never occurred to me that I could ask a higher power to help me to recover until I got to OA. And so I'm very grateful for that. With that, I pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Hey, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets together. I mean, obviously, this is an absurd example, but the big book is using the absurd to highlight the absurd. It's it's giving me an illustration of of my behavior as a real compulsive overeater. It's also teaching me here about the evolution, the the progression. I mean, initially this jaywalker doesn't want to stop. He's getting great thrills, drum, you know, skipping in front of fast moving vehicles. He doesn't want to stop jaywalking because it's way too much fun. Um, but as I see here in this paragraph, now he's not able to stop due to that peculiar mental twist, that obsession of the mind. It says, again, on through the years, his conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets together. So now he's vowing, he's swearing, he's promising up and down that he's not going to do this anymore. It is causing him pain. It is causing him suffering. He's losing out. His life is deteriorating, and yet he can't stop which uh, reinforces that point that the big book made for me a few pages back where it taught me about that baffling feature of alcoholism or in my case of compulsive overeating that I had an utter inability to leave it alone, to leave that first bite alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I had the necessity, <laughs> I was going crazy. I had mental turmoil, I had emotional torture, I was haunted, I felt haunted by this disease, I didn't know when it was going to stop, I felt like it was a runaway train. I had, the, I had the necessity, I had medical consequences, I was a young kid with high blood pressure, I was a young kid with high cholesterol, I was a young kid with, uh, you know, obesity. I had the the necessity, I had the wish, and yet I could not stop. It says he tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. This reinforces to me that my sick mind could not heal my sick mind. 
that my mind was distorted, my mind was twisted, and therefore all my actions that came from my mind were going to be twisted and distorted as well. So the big book is making it very clear here when it says such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? It's teaching me about insanity. It's teaching me that the insanity is in my mind. It's before I make that decision. It is in my mind with the lies that I tell myself. So the big book is going to make it very, very clear to someone like me that it wasn't going to be my inner strength and it wasn't going to be my will. And it wasn't going to be my determination. It wasn't going to be these vows and these continual promises. And it wasn't even going to be any other human creation who loved me. None of those was enough. I could not restore my sanity on my own. Just like this jaywalker, he cannot do it. He is without defense. That's what insanity means. That's what powerless means. A situation where he has no defense against that decision to walk in front of fast-moving vehicles. Even after all the damage, even after the loss of his wife, even after the loss of work, even after all the consequences, even after everything is explained to the jaywalker in excruciating detail, he still goes out in front of that fast-moving vehicle. And that occurs when he, uh, you know, is... is is uh, stone-cold sober, so to speak. That's the insanity that the big book is teaching me about. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This would be Paula. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsible Marina. Um, You know what ends here? It truly does end, doesn't it? Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? Not a statement, a question mark. And that's what we do. We actually question, well, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm not going to, every time, every time, there wasn't one time that it didn't end the same way. But he ends it with the question. You know, one thing I noticed about Bill, he does, he repeats the same story over and over again because we repeat the same action over and over again till we finally can answer the question. Wouldn't he? Can we finally say, yes, as crazy as I, and knowing full well that it can't be done on his own power because that's exactly what he's been going on, his own power. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Please press star one to unmute. This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Well, obviously, this is a story. Oh, this is a story that's um, not actual person, but... um, but the progressive nature of this, you know, he he can no longer work, his wife gets a divorce, and he's held up to ridicule. And that's what we go through, and yet it's so subtle. In hindsight, you know, it seems so clear, but when we're going through it, it just slowly, you know, like um, someone calls it, you know, uh, suicide on the layaway plan. I mean, we just are slowly letting our lives completely fall apart, and yet, you know, I could just muster up little inklings of willpower and think, okay, this time I really am not going to do it, but 
that dominating thing is the I, me thinking I could get enough knowledge, I could, you know, have enough uh, desire, I could, you know, rearrange everything else in my life, and then suddenly I would not want to do this. And that is the insanity of this disease. And until I could see that I, my best efforts got me to 190-some pounds, my best efforts got me to where I had to work 70 hours a week in order to pay my bills because I've made such a small salary, uh, you know, that I had no life. Um, those were my best efforts. And, you know, I had to surrender to the idea that God would make a better life for me. And I didn't have to figure it all out. I just had to follow a few simple directions. And um, until I was able to do that, uh, it just it just is this slow, you know, painful suicide that, you know, I wanted to uh, run in front of a, not a fire truck, but, you know, I wanted to drive into the embankments on the highway. I didn't have enough guts to do it. Um, but those thoughts were there. And who knows what would have happened if I'd stayed in, in the food for a few more years. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. All right. We're going to have Penny C. read the next paragraph for us. Penny, would you go ahead, please? Yes. Thank you, Janice. Uh, Penny C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater here. You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However, intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcoholism had been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Uh, this whole story about the jaywalker has been referred to as a parable, and a parable being a story that meant it's meant to teach a lesson. Um, and, you know, when I first was exposed to the story of the jaywalker in the big book, this is where I became fully convinced that I could study the big book and the, I could recover from my compulsive overeating because this was so easy to identify with. When it says we who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. You know, I know what it's like to be through the ringer, um, both literally and figuratively. When I was maybe five years old, I decided we had that, the old, if anybody remembers, the old ringer washing machine, and it was quite quite the new trend. Everybody, you know, people were just all talking about, isn't this wonderful? You don't have to wring out your clothes by yourself anymore. And I decided I was going to help my mom, and she was in another room. And I decided to take the clothes and start putting them through the ringer. And I got my whole arm caught. And, and you know, it really, it took all, everything out of me. I almost passed out. It took the feeling out of my hand. And that's just what food did to me. It made me feel as if I had really, really been through that ringer, that there was nothing more I was I was. Really, I was referred to by someone um, in in a, a high place as and in public as a basket case, and and so I was. But having come to OA and 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 then get 
been introduced to the big book, Thank You, God, I can so relate, and I certainly can substitute the word compulsive overeating for jaywalking, and every bit of this story applies directly to me. So that I pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, everyone. It's strong language, but isn't it true? You know, this is the, how important this chapter is. You know, why, this is why it's so important that we study this book, that this is a textbook to be studied, not a novel to be read. Because the language is so important. You know, it says in the earlier chapter, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. You know, I, I did a search, and in the first 164 pages, there, the word must is 81 times. And we keep talking about suggested. It's 81 times it says must. You know, that this is not a part-time endeavor. Recovery isn't something you can do on a part-time basis. You know, we study this book. We apply this book because we're insane. You know, this chapter is saying over and over again, once again, the language of, of um, delusions and illusions and insanity. And until we understand how insane we are, we're not going to be willing to submit to this, this process. You know, and, and how it works with those who have thoroughly followed our path. And I sort of followed your path. I did what I want. I did what was convenient. But when we've been through the ringer, when we have totally, this disease has totally taken us to our knees. It has beaten us up and we are bloody and we are frightened and terrified. That's when we're going to submit to this process. So it is strong language. But this language is so important because until we are until we conclude that we are a compulsive overeater, until we know to the depths of our soul that we have this allergy of the body, that we have this obsession of the mind, that abstinence is the beginning and it's not the end. That when we put down the food, we are subject to the greatest aspect of our disease, which is what this chapter is talking about. The problem with this gentleman is that he's insane in his mind, and regardless of how logical he is, regardless of how intelligent he is, his mind keeps telling him, jaywalking is fun. My mind kept telling me the food will make it better. The food will take the edge off. The food is my friend, regardless of what the empirical evidence told me. So it is strong language, but we have to admit it is true, and from that point we can move forward in the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. Thank you so much. We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. Uh, you know, I know I relate to it exactly. You know, I had no sense of family. I was haunted and, you know, um, tormented uh, by and, and in, a, in a state of panic that I could not stop. And this thing was getting worse. You know, no sense of community did I have. I, my, uh, you know, uh, no ethics. My morals were in the gutter. You know, my life was, was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. Um, this disease wears you out. You know, this disease wears you out. We have been through the ringer. It wears you out. It exhausted me. It was exhausting. 
you know, at the end, exhausting. It had progressed to that point. We have been through the ringer, have to admit, if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. I mean, you know, you get worn out reading the jaywalker story, but it's absurd because he keeps going back into the middle of the street. It would be as absurd as uh, Penny C., who just told the story about the washing machine, if she kept sticking her hand back to test if that ringer would really hurt her arm. You know, it's the same insanity. It goes on to say, however intelligent we, we may have been in other respects where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. Again, the big book is teaching me about the nature of insanity. I better get it straight. I better understand this. Because step two is going to come along, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I better understand what that insanity means. And it doesn't mean that we're all gone. It just means that when it comes to this area, for us it's food, we're not all here. When it comes to food, it seems as though I'm not quite all there because I can't see the truth about those substances, those food substances. And I make a decision based upon a lie that rolls around in my brain, and then, of course, we run into the truth and pain and suffering along with it. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, this is Janice, and I'd like to comment, too, about this paragraph. You know, you may think our illustration is too ridiculous. Too ridiculous. But is it? But is it? You know, when I look at this story of the jaywalker, I see myself in that at first, I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. But then what happened to the jaywalker when he wanted to stop? when he could see that it was hurting him. Well, first he decided he would stop jaywalking for good. He just decided he would stop jaywalking for good. But in a few weeks, oh, his legs were broken. And now he's making promises to the people around him, as well as to himself. He's saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he tries every possible means, it says, to get that idea out of his head. And that's what was so absurd to me. Is this illustration was describing me because I was like that jaywalker when I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore. Made up my mind I wasn't going to do it anymore. Then I started making promises to the people around me, saying it out loud to people. Yep, I'm not going to do it anymore. You can see that it's getting me in trouble. Then he even shut himself up in an asylum, trying to mend his ways, trying to get that idea out of his head. But the day that he comes out, the day that he comes out, he runs right back into the street in front of a fire engine. You know, it was that not me. Crazy as this looks, as insane as this idea is, as as same as I seem to be in other areas of my life, somehow where this idea was concerned, I had no power against it. And that's what it took to see that I needed to concede to my innermost self that I too was like this man, that I too was a critical level compulsive overeater, that I too had no power against this idea in my head. And the insane idea winning out again and again showed me that clearly, clearly. And with that, I'll pass.
Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Christy. Hi, this is Sharon. Go ahead, Christy, and then Sharon. Good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, reading this paragraph, you know, to just take this analogy even a little bit further, I don't remember how old I was. I mean, at a very, very young age, my mom, um, you know, grabbed me by the hand and told me not to run into the street. You know, you've got to look both ways before you cross the street. I mean, that's one of the first fundamental things that kids learn when they're out walking and they're old enough to understand you do not run out into the street. You look both ways. You stop before you cross the road. And, you know, as a little kid, you know, perhaps if I started to dart out of the street, my mom grabbed me. She must have because I've never been hit by a car. I've never been hit by a car. I don't recall even having a near miss. Because at some point in my life, I had the ability to reason. I had the ability to trust that if I ran into the street, it was possible that I would get hit by a car. And um, I, you know, looking at how fast moving a car might be or even slow moving a car might be, it was going to, you know, if it hit me, I'd be hurt. So I did, I've, I've never run out into the street. I'm, you know, I'm 53. I don't run out into the street. I look both ways before I cross the street still today, even though I've never been hit by a car. So if I look at my record, you know, the, um, you know, however intelligent I might have been with, you know, having the ability to reason and rationalize and say, wow, Christy, don't dart out into the street. I'm intelligent enough to do that. I have that ability to reason as a human being. I had my own experience with food doing the same thing to me, you know, promising me a life of misery and pain um, every time I picked up that first compulsive bite and ingested it into my body. Every time I made that decision, you know, I'm going to eat and it's not going to do the same thing it's, it did to me the other million times I ate. No, it's not going to do that to me. I just know that's not going to happen. I know that's not going to happen. You know, my ability to reason, even after having the experience, it's not like I had to get hit by a car 12 times before I said, wow, I shouldn't walk out into the street. I trusted. I knew I had the ability to reason, but not when it came to this addiction. My disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And that ability to reason and say, you know what, Christy, if you pick up, if you pick up that food and you eat like you did two hours ago when you said you were never going to do that again, when you said don't do that again, Christy, don't eat like that again, it will only bring you a life of misery and pain, that flew out the window. That flew out the window. All memory, all memory of that suffering, as it says in the big book over and over again, for someone like me is gone. It's lost. I have no ability. I have no ability to bring into my memory the consequences of eating compulsively. And I did that over and over and over again. You know, let's look at the record, Christy. Let's look at your experience. You know, I lived through that pain and misery. I lived through every one of those decisions I made to pick up that first bite and to tell myself it would never happen again. It wouldn't be like it was the last million times I did that. And I lived like that, you know, Day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And it wasn't until I finally said to myself, I have had enough. I have had enough. I have had enough. 
I, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it takes. Even if it means I have to give up the food. I don't care what it takes. Anything, anything has to be better than this. And that was the jumping off point for me. That was the point for me. And um, I'm just grateful and grateful that today, you know, at the age of 53, I feel better than I did at the age of 33. You know, I feel better than I did 20 years ago because I was miserable, miserable, imprisoned by this addiction. And today I'm free. I am free from the desire to eat compulsively. And I'm just so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Go ahead, Sharon. Hi, this is Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I just want to say thank you for being here and being so willing to get on this phone every day and share your experience, strength, and hope with us that are um, just beginning. I'm in my first six months and really starting to understand how absurd and incomprehensible <laughs> this first bite is. And, you know, as I'm going through my steps and realizing how cunning this is, I was bringing groceries in last night, and my daughter decided to get up and help. Well, she left her bowl of ice cream on the couch, and she was out getting groceries, and I, the thought just ran across my head that I could run to the bowl and just quick have one little bite, and nobody would know. And I thought, wow, that is unbelievable how that comes so quick, so fast, almost like what um, I think Leah said, hauntingly. And, you know, all you can do is just pause and cry out to God, um, you know, which, of course, worked for me. But the other thing, too, is I was that really jumped out to me is about how through the years the conduct continues accompanied by continual promises. The promises that I made to myself, the pads of paper that I would write everything down and, you know, try so hard and then eventually think that I could go back to a food that would just absolutely trigger this allergy. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that I'm really learning because you would expect if I were normal that I could cut that out. But I have come to accept from everything that we've read in the previous pages on this call that I am different. And I do have to be honest with myself that others may and I may not. I can't have a bite of certain foods or I will be hiding again, try, you know, trying to eat it all. So I just wanted to say thank you. wanted to get to know everybody more and um, make myself known. Have a good day. Thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? All right, we'll move ahead. Deb, would you please read the next paragraph for us? Hi, this is Anne-Marie. Can you hear me? Yes, Anne-Marie. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I couldn't get unmuted. Um, I just wanted to uh, add to what the person that was just speaking and uh, appreciative of hearing people talk about how this insidious disease works and the thought just pops into our mind because... Um, when I very first got recovered and I that I had that thought, I thought, oh, my God, I'm not recovered anymore. And, and I was reminded that I have this disease forever. Just because I added the ED on recover doesn't mean that I will never have 
the thought pop into my head. And it reminds me that I need to be vigilant. I need to be in constant contact with the God of my understanding throughout the day, not just at the beginning when I do my prayer meditation or at the end of the day when I thank God for the day that I've had, but throughout the day I have to be in constant contact with God. And also listen to uh, these meetings have helped me immensely. I'm just so grateful for our vision for you. Um, And to be in contact with other compulsive eaters, to have a fellowship among us, because, you know, it talks about that, I, I think, in the, uh, the, the, pre- the preface, you know, how we have this fellowship, and I need to use it. Just because I have that ED now doesn't mean I can go happily on my narrowly way. I have to be um, vigilant about this disease and work the steps, live the steps, not just say them at the beginning of the day and admit that I am powerless but I need to actually work these steps and do as they live in 10, 11, and 12. And to, um, you know, just to call someone and tell them what's going on with me or to ask somebody what's going on with them. You know, I I had a a good day yesterday and, um, you know, I just called people, not because I needed to because I was in fear of having a drink, because I genuinely care What's going on with someone else? What a switch that is from when I was in the disease. I'm just very, very grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. All right, Deb, would you go ahead with the next paragraph, please? Absolutely. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Deb from Michigan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, But we have not gone to the extreme as you fellows did, nor are we likely to. For we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I, got to respond to this. Um, Yeah, talk about arrogance. I... I remember being fully in my disease and having the arrogance um, like this and thinking, you know, this is all about comparison. And it just reminds me, it it totally takes me back to page 31 that we um, just went over a few days ago. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. And that was me. <clears throat> Early in program, it was great that I had gotten a, um, a full knowledge of who and what I was, but I so desperately wanted to convince myself otherwise. I still wanted wanted to be that normal eater, and so I played around with the food. I, I tried to um, figure out a way to bring myself back to becoming a normal eater again. But I love the analogies that we use on this line, and it's so true that once that cucumber has become a pickle, it's always going to be that pickle. You can't take it back to that original state, and I will always have this disease. Um, But I'm so grateful for it and um, because it's just kept me so in step with my um, the God of my understanding. Um, But anyways, I'm going to pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? 
press star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did nor are we likely to, for we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen. Um, You know, this is the nature of the beast. We're looking for ways to justify our departure and to compare ourselves out, you know. Um, But what the big book is teaching here is that not everybody has to get to the quicksand. You know, whether you're a low-bottom drinker like... um, like Jim was, you know, who was about to lose his family and lost his job and, you know, uh, things were not going well for Jim, or a high-bottom drinker, which we're going to read about, like Fred, who still has a loving family and who still has a job. doesn't matter. Low-bottom eater, high-bottom eater, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how close you got to the quicksand or if you uh, enjoyed, you know, swimming in it for a while. What makes an alcoholic? What makes an alcoholic is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. What makes a real compulsive overeater? What makes a real compulsive overeater is an allergy of the body, that there were certain substances that when I ingested them, it triggered a phenomenon of craving and the obsession of the mind, that even when I said, no more, that's it, I'm <laughs> plugging the jug, I'm never going to dip my fist back into the cellophane bag or that bakery box, no more, and come a day and come a time, you know, I would be restless, irritable, and discontent, and seek the ease and comfort of those substances once again. So this isn't about stopping. I've stopped thousands of times. How do you not start again? So allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. You know, I knew I was a compulsive overeater way back, but I did not know what I was up against. I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I did not know how hot hell would get. So no matter where you are in the spectrum of compulsive overeating, high bottom, low bottom, doesn't matter. Do you have an allergy of the body? Do you have an obsession of the mind? With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, my name is Janice, and I would like to say something about this paragraph, too, this morning. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. When they put something like this here in the big book, I can't help but think to myself, they know us so well. They know me so well. And I would lay money on the fact that someone in that first 100 recovered alcoholics thought like this because that's why they put these things in here so that I can identify that there might have been those like me who said, "Mm, you know, my life didn't get that bad. I mean, I still had a roof over my head. I, I still had a job. I still paid my bills, didn't I? Didn't I? And you're talking about people who had a a lot worse circumstances than I did. The circumstances. That's where I like to compare myself to. I was an intelligent person. I hadn't hadn't gone to the extremes yet. I hadn't gone to the extremes yet. And, And I'm not likely to, knowing what I know about myself. 
Well, I'm one of those people, like Jim, who identified in, who said, yep, I'm, I am like one of you, but I haven't gotten as bad as you guys yet. And that yet place, oh, it's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place to be. Because you've got one foot in and one foot out, you know you might very well be one of these, but you're not fully committed. You haven't fully conceived to your innermost self. You're still relying on your intelligence, on your determination, on self-knowledge, on this new knowledge you've got here. Oh, knowledge was power, I thought. You know, if I just had the knowledge, if I just understood it all, wouldn't that be my answer? Wouldn't that be my answer? Thank you very much. That's, that'll do. That'll do. But you know, that was not the truth for me. That was not the truth for me. And I lived in that place of hell for a very long time. For a very long time. Thank God. Thank God for this information in the big book. Where finally that cracked, my mind cracked open and I could see the obsession. Clearly could see the obsession in me through and through. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we close today? Okay, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Katie, would you please read that for us? Sorry, sorry. I'm here. Okay. Thank you. Our book, is, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.